right. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Friends, topics around well-being. I am your hostess with the mostest, Miss Marla Boyle, and I am here with my friend, Miss Anne-Marie Sampson, uh, who is part of the Mission Driven Wellness team. And I thank you very much for coming back to banter with me. Today, we're going to talk about Earth Month, but more specifically about community gardens and branches of that area. And we will certainly talk about what we can do for Earth Month, but I'm interested in the benefits, both long-term and short-term, of gardening in the community. And before I dive in even a little bit further, you know, when we have these conversations and I put this podcast together and I hope so many people are listening to this, but I really have no idea and that's okay. Uh, It is about creating awareness. Um, For me, my uh, company, my personal well-being consulting company is about helping people become better well-beings, not only with mind, body, spirit, but with their community and with the environment. Uh, because to me, that's a it's a holistic aspect. It's a holistic yeah. picture. So, you know, we're in the season of spring, though. I know a lot of people would argue that regardless of the fact that climate change has altered everything, people seem to be, as usual, uh, antsy to be outdoors. And so for me, I thought, okay, let's dive into what can we do to start speaking about spring, but speaking to me to this bigger topic that I've seen certainly a movement happen with it much greater over, I don't know, the last 10, 15 years, for sure. But I think that we can keep going and expanding in it. And I know you're an expert in it because of the work that you do. And I've certainly dappled in it. And I know I have a lot of dots of information, but you're going to, I'm going to have you help me pull them all together. So I happen to be listening to uh, some kind of random, some random podcast. I don't remember which one, because I probably have too many that I'm listening to at any yeah, right join the club. And I try really not to listen to that many. But anyways, this figure stuck out to me, which is not, I don't know if I'm surprised or not surprised, but they'd said that the millennials and Gen Z, uh, like this percent may not be accurate fully, but somewhere around 43 to 46% were concerned about, you know, the environment, climate change, but that it gets really lower in terms of actually they're actually going to do something about it because it's easier to say yes I'm concerned and I think that applies to all of us I really don't think it should be pinned on a smaller generation I could give you 10 people in my own life who are following that path so for me where I wanted to start in this conversation uh, because I think it's uh, climate change has affected is starting with the bigger arch of urban gardens in city deserts. Um, And, you know, I got brought into this whole arena or the knowledge of it many years ago through an organization, I don't even know if they're still around, called uh, Yellow Tractor, Yellow Tractor Project. And two ladies uh, worked on bringing to office spaces, the ability to create gardens within their space using these particular types of building systems, like the, like a garden kit system. And I think it's, I, like I said, I have no idea if they're in business any longer, but I think it's, it's um, 
I think urban gardening is a an important piece because in these city deserts, the urban deserts, we are starving for, people are starving for that sense of mother nature, of earth, of where do my where does my food come from? Sure. So wondering if you can speak to these, what are they really as they've evolved and why do we need the, them? What's the importance of them? And then we'll, I'll get to some other ones further. So first of all, I need to thank you. It is, I, I, we met so long ago and I knew that we would stay connected, even if it's peripheral, you know, like, because I think that a, I think we move in similar spaces. Um, and while we probably don't align on everything, I think big picture, you and I are really compatible. I mean, I think we believe that there are things that each of us can be doing to have influence in our communities and mm -hmm. our communities will then have influence on, um, you know, the greater goal, which is to protect our planet, right? right. I mean, so that is the greater goal. You know, the interesting thing is, I want to back up just a minute, is that there are different types of, of gardens. And here's the reason I want to address that is because I do think in general, we overcomplicate things. So I want to start there. I think there's many things that are super simple. Gardening is hard. Like, I'm just yeah. going to call it out. It's not something that everybody can do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why community gardens in general are a super good place to start. But you know, you've got plot gardens and cooperative gardens and youth gardens and therapeutic gardens and entrepreneurial gardens. So there's different types of garden space. But the other thing that I really liked just in your introduction is that you talked very little about access. You talked very little about we want to bring fresh fruits and vegetables to a community. And listen, that is part of the goal, but it is not the only goal. When you're looking at, in particular, urban gardens, there is such a greater purpose there. And I don't want to diminish the fresh foods and vegetables. I'm not diminishing yeah. that. No, but right. The reality is there's very few people that take advantage of that. Like we're going to really call exactly. it out. No, exactly. You're absolutely right. And, and is it a necessary piece? Should yeah, be because, because the other things, the environmental benefits, the social benefits and mm -hmm. the mental health benefits mm -hmm. are you can't measure those. Right. right they so outweigh it. Things, right. Yeah. 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 So like when you're looking just like from an environmental perspective, the minute a community garden goes in, it means that that land's not being purposed for another you know, uh, you know, stop and go or Burger King. I mean, I'm not right. making fun of Burger King or stop and go. No, 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 no. But it's it's not being purposed for something industrialized. Right. And what that does, you guys have to remember too that soil is not infinite, right? We don't have an we don't have an unlimited amount of soil. We've got the soil that we have, and if we're not taking care of it, um, it's it's going to go away and it's going to be useless to us. And here's the interesting thing. Even if you weren't growing food, let's just say you're beautifying a space and you're putting in plants that are indigenous and they you can't eat these plants, by the way, they're just putting in indigenous plants. It makes the space prettier. But the other thing that you're doing is you're improving the soil quality. You're improving the air quality. Right. Remember, in these urban environments, they're bombarded by toxins and chemicals and waste. And so just the beautification of that improves both the soil quality, the air quality, and the water quality. People don't realize that, but water has to have someplace to go, right? And once right. soil is gone, what happens to the water? People don't realize that it runs off, right? 
But right. the minute you keep the soil, the water then absorbs and then it can go back into the atmosphere and it creates this cycle that it's supposed to have. Right. So like just the, and then we haven't even touched on social and emotional um, ramifications yet, but I just, I wanted to kind of stop there and, you know, yeah. and I know that's what you were driving at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, you know, when I think about, I mean, because urban gardens, you're right, have a, a number of branches. Is it a garden that's just beautifying, you know, something like for us, Lincoln Park or Central Park or whatever, to bring green into an urban desert, which, you know, has many positive ramifications on, or, or benefits, should say, really. And, and that's one way to bring a community together, for sure. Uh, I also, you know, think in terms of soil, as soon as I said soil, my mind went to kiss the ground regenerative soil. And one of the big things that we don't have actually is a lot of soil. We have a lot of dirt in the United States. We have a lot of dirt, but we don't have a lot of soil. Um, and in these urban deserts to be able to bring soil back and then have this regenerative ecosystem would be fantastic. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So that's a big piece of it. And then when you talk just about the social implications, um, it's giving access to people who may not have had access before. Right. So the minute somebody like touches the ground and sees how something is grown. This is a completely different conversation, but I do hold, you know, my, my space is the health and wellness space. I've spent mm -hmm. 38 years there and nutrition is a big piece of that. And we're, we're not going to go down that route because there's so much discrimination and bias when it comes to nutrition that it yep. almost makes my head explode, but more important than what people think the health benefits are, the ability to know where something came from right and understand the culture and the heritage and you know just the growth process of that like literally getting your hands dirty and getting your hands dirty with your kids it from a um social implication it's so important it makes you know the bonding experience of doing something together and watching something grow i mean you're literally right. watching, watching it grow. grow right yeah yeah, um, so that's huge. Mm -hmm. And then, well, and, yeah, and just in the, the other thing besides watching it grow is just that tactile experience of like being in the dirt. Oh, sure. I mean, the physical benefits of the tactile experience, I mean, the brain connections alone, the stimulus alone, there, the long term effects of that. And, um, the way that, I mean, this is going in a, in a much deeper space than we're going to go, but you know how your genes present themselves, you know, based on, you can change certain things within you that may have been hereditary based on changing your behaviors and and creating more positive connections and healthier connections. And by healthier, I just simply mean the social aspect, having conversations, supporting another person, a team, being responsible in that way. One of the uh, urban garden places, I mentioned it in my notes when I emailed you, um, it, for us here in Chicagoland is down on the south side in Lawndale called the Windy City Garden. Yeah. You know, and I, it's a branch, oh, it's a subsidiary of 
massive Chicago Botanic Gardens that's on the north side of Chicago. And I imagine other cities have places like this, yeah. I, I, I would imagine. What I loved about going there, I was uh, went with a friend to do uh, some volunteer work, but the program that's there when you're speaking to the whole social aspect of it. And for this, I could definitely see the full on emotional growth. Their program down there takes people who have been, who are now on parole or who have finished maybe whatever time that they had. And now they're ready to get back on the street uh, and get back into work and to try to find their life. What I find really found fascinating, and it obviously it still goes on, they um, not only are they responsible, they hire these individuals and hold them accountable to help grow and they're paid, um, but they have a program in place to meet with counselors, to build their resume, to help them go to job fairs. And yeah, I mean, it's a really empowering place. What I also found really fascinating about this space in particular was the innovative steps they took around gardening. So they have a whole aquaponics system there. So teaching people the whole side of, we have this climate change going on, it's massive, it's real. And we also need to create access where there is an access and taking new ways to grow and create produce and create access at the same time and to teach these people so that they can then help others and whether it be in their immediate family to be in their immediate community. Right. And I think those places are powerful as well as watching what's being grown. Yeah. And there's a ton of research out there and um, that's quantified and I don't have numbers like you. I'm not really a numbers person. But there's actually um, a connection between being outdoors and you could be on a hike for that matter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. um, Or growing food, your connection to the outdoors and your willingness to try to protect it. There's so much research out there um, that's specifically about that. Again, I'm in the health and wellness space and, you know, I see clients indoors, but I'm telling you, I spend the majority of time telling people to get outside and play, like literally get outside and play. And like, that's not good for my bottom line. Right. But I really believe in the importance and it's super interesting because again, there's tons of research, tons of science that points to the fact that people who are outdoors have lower stress levels Mm -hmm. and they have lower hormonal stress levels. You can literally measure it. Yeah. That's the thing too, when, um, you know, this, this whole idea of being like inside and protected and listen, I believe in the, um, that there's alternative ways. I have basil plants growing in my house. I've got, you know, like I see your green plant, I've got green plants in my home. Um, but really we want to encourage people to get outside, right? Like get in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the issue with the hydroponics thing too, is it's super cool. Um, it's so expensive. Um, oh, sure. and I have a resource for people. If people are interested, I can point them towards, but it's like a thousand dollars to kind of get started. Yeah. I mean, it's not, and I, I don't bring it up in the sense yeah. that it's something that you're going to put on your back sure. you know, two acres yeah. of property or yeah. in your backyard. It's not for that. It's, it should be, I shouldn't say should, I think it's a system that is better suited in a community business. Yes. 
such as that, uh, where people who have access to it sure. by that. But I also think it's important, you know, Rotarians, uh, a friend of mine's husband is part of one of the local Rotary clubs and they go down to more underprivileged com- uh, countries or communities uh-huh. and teach them how to create these aquaponic systems on like nothing. I mean, it looks sure. nothing yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it looks nothing like what's down at Windy City Garden for sure. Yeah, right. It's very rudimentary, but it helps them create this whole system. So yeah, for me and, and just bringing it up is more just this understanding yeah. like, wow, you only thought fish could grow out in a lake or in the ocean, but right. actually you have this ability to have access to this right in, in a space in your in your area. When you think about, cause we'll, we'll get into the smaller community garden shortly, but when you think about these urban gardens, if we were just to speak to say, who are they really serving? Mm-hmm. And if I take away just a garden that is for leisure. So uh-huh. if I'm just speak, if I'm speaking specifically to food gardens, sure. food opportunities, where you have seen urban gardens, who do you really feel that these are serving? Is it, are they being, I don't know if I'm going to ask it the right way, but are they being set up in a way that access is realistic? Um. Listen, I think the biggest winner with a garden is the planet. Like, I'm just going to, I'm putting it out there. I think the biggest winner is the planet. Like, anytime we can cultivate more green space and actively pursue better soil, better air, better water, like, we're, we're winning. So, like, I honestly think that that is the biggest winners. Do I think that from an exposure perspective, again, these bigger gardens, do I think that they are giving access to people who would not necessarily know what a garden is, how to grow something. And, you know, intuitively we all know where food comes from, but to literally see it, I think that that is huge. Do I think directly that the food itself is getting to the exact populations that it needs? I mean, I think the short answer is I'm not sure. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting because I know some of them are moving towards going directly into food pantries. And Mm -hmm. um, is that really the way to go? I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, are they giving enough food away? Again, I'm not really sure. And if you spend enough time in um, a community garden, you realize sometimes people aren't that interested in what you're growing. (laughs) Right. So... Well, yeah. So then that leads me to actual small community gardens, mm-hmm. because I, for me, the, the urban city, you know, these urban deserts, those businesses, nonprofits, those, if I'm just speaking about something like, you know, Windy City Garden versus landscape architecture and creating a park in the middle of a city. Yeah. yeah. Um, those to me are very different than a small community garden, a co-op garden, a therapy garden. So let's just speak about those. So you, you gave uh, names to a few of them. Talk to me about if we move into just a smaller community, what do the, what are they, what are these smaller real community gardens? Like how do they come into form and, and what are they, what are their purposes? Yeah. So like the, like the therapeutic garden spaces, um, 
you know, I know I work with a nonprofit downtown called Lawrence Hall, and they put in a therapeutic, they call it the Peace Garden. And they had a bunch of volunteers that did the work. So the, the people, it's a therapeutic day school, residence hall, and a foster care system. So not necessarily the youth that were there were, you know, participating in planting the garden, but they beautified the space and it's stunning. And it is a peace environment. It's literally a way to people for people to ground and connect with, you know, the earth and to breathe and to, you know, touch and to experience. Um, so I think that um, it's imperfect. It's it's the way that it was architected was beautiful. It's imperfect in its structure because nature in itself is imperfect and we're imperfect and you know, that serves a purpose, right? That for sure serves a purpose. The other project that I'm with, Eden Restoration, um, which is up in um, the North Chicago, Waukegan area, you know, the idea there is to um, stimulate um, excitement in a community. And I think that it's happening and I'm super proud of everything that, that has been done there. There was a grant project that went there that, was doing things to decide, is it better to grow in mulch or is it better to grow in um, mulch and compost or just the soil that's there? It was an incredible, a soil scientist was there. He's been amazing to work with. And th I think that information is going to be so valuable to somebody. I don't think it's that valuable to the community. It, it is creating, you know, again, that space where it's green, there's things growing, there's a construction site legitimately next door. And every time we go there, um, you know, the, the guys and I that are there, so Michael and um, we're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness we're growing here because otherwise it was going to become another, you know, industrial. Yeah, right. Something. Yeah. So, you know, those things are good. I would be being misleading if I told you that like they're lining up in the community to come right. get the tomatoes and the peppers. They're not. Do you think it's because of a, because then I want to come back to the therapy one. Do you think it's because, I mean, I go to my farmer's market every weekend and it, when it starts up out the outdoor one, and then during winter, we have some indoor ones that, you know, we're able to get and you can get what you can get. And, yeah, yeah. and I have other farmers that come in and make deliveries. So I'm fine for the most part, but do you think it's, is it easier to go to the grocery store and just get everything you need there? Is it easier to not go to the farmer's market? Is it easier to not go to this community garden? Cause it's not on my route. You know, is it just an excuse like, Oh, that's a nice thing. I'd love to support it, but Oh, I don't have time to get over there. Yeah. I think that all those things are true. Right. I think we're creatures of habit. Like, you know, and again, I think you and I tend to be more, that's our personalities. I don't think it has much to do with anything else. I think we're open to, hey, I'm willing to try this. I'm willing to listen and look and try and touch. And I'm also willing to fail, right? Like so, but I think most people are very routine oriented. And I think that it's because if we're looking at the average American, I can't speak to, I'm speaking of here in the US. Right. Their days are packed and they're filled and, um, we for for as many conveniences we have you know it seems like people have less and less time so i think some of it is that um i think some of it is unfamiliarity but i think over i think people overstate that i think that people you know i hear people say well they don't know what to, what to do with a tomato yes they do everyone knows what to do with a tomato right like, i mean like don't insult people either right like right. i'm sorry right. like, i think people overstate that right um 
I think that when you're looking at some populations and I'm not going to make any friends here, I think some people are snobs. Like, oh, like for sure. Organic. I'm like, no, dude, I just grew it. It's not organic, but it just grew. grew it, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I fully get it. Yes. Yeah. So I think that it's a combination of all of those things. I think there's some language barriers in some of the communities that we're in. And I'm the first one to admit that. Um, particularly in some of the Spanish speaking areas. I don't speak Spanish. Um, and uh, I think they don't know, like, is it free? Is it not free? Do I have to grow? Do I not have to grow? Like, so I think there's some things there. We could have done a better job with that. Like I'm, like, I'm perfectly willing to say we should have had someone Spanish speaking that was there that could, you know, do more right. of the community outreach. That was my bad. That's our bad. We should have done better there. Right. Do you think more communities should take on these smaller gardens? Yeah. For all the same reasons that we spoke about with the urban city desert garden. Even if no yeah. one ever eats a tomato, like right. it's it's better in the long yeah. run, 100%. Yeah. That's why I think everybody should be growing, you know, if possible, right? Not everybody, like I was, um, I, I can't remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about like, um, if you don't have access, like, go on your balcony and, you know, grow a basil plant. And like the woman that was leading the podcast was like, dude, if they don't have access, do you think they have a balcony? Right, <laughs> right, exactly, true. So I do think though, there are some small things that we could be doing. And I think that most, the people that have the ability, I'm not gonna say most people, I think the people that have the ability need to, they need to take more action. Mm-hmm. Does that sound hard to say? Does that sound harsh? No, because the people who have the ability, if they take action, it's, I guess, from my perspective, is you're not taking action for just yourself. You're taking it to help those who don't have the ability to give them that opportunity and to not, you do it from an ego-less place. This isn't about building up your whatever. This is about the long-term effects this is about helping your brother and sisters in your community you know to have the same kind of things that you have in the best way that you can you can't do it all but um so in thinking about these community gardens well i want to go to the therapy garden for a second so tell me what's like what is that therapy garden what does this one particularly look like the one for me my therapy I mean, my therapy garden is outside, you know, I walk through our whole neighborhood and I'm very blessed where we live, but I also, my sacred space is the Chicago Botanic Gardens. So I ride my bike up there. I don't during winter because it's buck ass cold here. It wouldn't work, <laughs> but I get up there. Anyways, I, I walk through there, but my, my favorite space is to sit in the English walled garden and I usually get there about 7.15 and it's just, there's nobody there because I sneak in. I mean, I don't sneak in. The gate's open, but, you know. <laughs> Busted. They, le they left. Yeah, right. Anybody listening to this? <laughs> hey, the gate was open. It's there. Like, it's, I just ride my bike in. I'm like, okay, I'm coming in early. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> awesome. Um, and even the door to the main building's open. So I'm like, you left this unlocked. So I'm just going to. Make myself at home. Myself at home. Um, so yeah, talk to me about the therapy garden because I like, I love the idea of, I love them in general, and yeah. I wish we had more of them. 
Yeah, I agree. And I will tell you, you know, prior to when I, um, my whole thing, when they were talking about garden space, I'm like, oh my gosh, we should be growing food and then they should use it in the kitchen that like, and so when they said they were putting a therapy garden in, I'm just going to tell you at first, I was like, what? What? <laughs> right. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I guess. <laughs> but of course I was too, like, I, I was too in the weeds, right? Instead of like taking a step back and like going back to the environmental and the social and the mental health implications of being outdoors, which I don't spend a lot of time thinking about because I'm outside a lot. Like I have right. a lot of privilege and a lot of access. Like right. I spend the majority of my time outdoors, super lucky. My job allows me to, where we travel to allows me to. So I will tell you it was super humbling to not only watch this be created, um, but to realize the implications to a community that may not have had the ability to do what you just said. So they have like, it's, the designer was amazing, but they have these big, huge cement sitting places that were from um, an L station that was being torn down. So oh, wow. Purposed, it's like in there. Um, They've got, you know, everything's indigenous. Um, so it's all, and if people don't know what that means, it means that it's plants that grow well in the state of Illinois. So right. a lot of times what happens when people are trying to garden, so regardless of growing food, right? People are trying to put in plants that aren't, you know, exactly. don't thrive in this climate. Um, right. So they and do a really good job with that. And it changes seasonally. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really pretty. You can see like, different things bloom at different times and there's pathways and, um, you know, and, and again, just allowing that space for kids to explore mm -hmm. and to be creative and to kind of get lost in their thoughts, which all of us need to do more of. I actually think, and I'll have to ask Maura, um, I, I think the staff is using it more than people thought they would too, right? Like, so I think it's not just obviously that. Oh my God. Do. Yeah. I would love it. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously I live three blocks from the lake and that's a privilege in itself to go right. there, but it's not always quiet because it's a well-traveled path, but to the other direction, to the West is a rose garden mm. uh, that is, I don't know, maybe half a city block, not even, it's probably... It's a quarter, maybe 25%. doesn't matter, but it is a quiet space and it's, you can just go sit there and smell and sit on a bench and it is very peaceful. And just to know when I walk over there, it's about six blocks away to just walk over there. My brain already moves into that space. Like I get to look and smell every single colored rose that is there and I can just sit and absorb and watch the water come out of the fountain out of these pelicans beaks because it's you know this really peaceful space right i definitely think we need more of that i mean oh. even in the urban garden does you know even in those city deserts i think you know when i think about central park there's a lot of noise that because of the expansiveness of sure. it you know that you mute out a lot of noise on either side of the park right east, west north south and I think in those spaces, that's what you want. Sure. At least from my perspective is you want to mute out. You kind of almost want to make it like this nature fortress in the middle right. of the city because you want to tune out the shit that you're trying to get away from. 
Exactly. Right. I don't need to hear. I don't need to hear a cop car going down the street. I don't need to hear the people honking. I don't, you know, you want it to be this place where you can just sit or walk and, you know, think out loud or be creative or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And like one of the other gardens that's at um, the Botanic Garden, and I know, again, many cities who have these big arboretums or greenhouses or whatever, um, it's a sensory garden. Yeah. And so it is, not, it's, it's the visual aspect of it. It's the, the rubbing of the scented leaves from sage to scented geraniums to all the herbs, yep. to things that, you know, when you touch them, it's like, oh, you know, prickly or soft or whatever. And then the sounds, the natural sounds that are there as well. Um, and I think those are really fascinating places for all sorts of people, especially those with any varying level of disability sure. um, to really help them. Absolutely. So if you were going to start planning your own garden, okay, so then we'll bring it down to this little micro level. If you were going to start planning your own garden and my access, my garden that I create is not food-based. It is plant-based because we have, okay. we have squirrels. Yeah. That's all <laughs> I have to say. Okay, I, don't, I don't need to say anymore. I have squirrels. I have a lot of them. <laughs> Um, so ours is all flowers, uh, herbs, flowers. And so I created an oasis and I don't have, um, it's not the best space light wise for herbs to be maintained in my house during, or in our condo during winter. Uh, but neither here nor there, I make use of everything I need to, but so let's just say someone wants to do something. So speak to us from small space like I really don't have access to I have a yard and uh, I can plant something and then I want to talk about composting in all angles yeah um so I think that small like literally growing um an herb or trying to keep a plant um like a plant alive in your house like that is small like even just having potted plants kind of you know, start with like two or three. They're super affordable, um, super easy to take care of. And you can ask. Um, uh, indoor plants were not my jam. I'm just going to tell you, like, I felt like I could kind of grow anything I wanted outdoors. I killed anything that I tried to grow indoors. So I went and spent time actually at a farmer's market talking to people who were, had house plants. And I said, I don't want these, I don't want to buy these things and I want them to die. Like I spent a lot of time just talking and, you know, people at farmer's markets, by the way, are super patient, but they're also super patient at a nursery or go when it's quiet and just talk mm -hmm. to somebody. So that was really important to me um, to start that. Rosemary's super hardy. Basil actually does pretty good. Lavender does really well. Um, so those things were pretty easy to do indoors. Just make sure you're getting the right information from the right person. I mean, mm -hmm. you could probably Google a lot of that now. I just would rather get my information from somebody I can talk to than, yeah, um, I agree. than using the big Google. Yeah. Um, outdoors, start small. So like most tomato plants are pretty hard to kill. Um, most people can grow a tomato plant. They can be done in a pot, which I think is super convenient. But remember, um, they don't know what to do with it. I'm just kidding. What? I said, remember, they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> right. Is that not insulting? Like, I'm like, what? Of course, they know what to do with tomato. <laughs> um, but so that's like super easy to do. Um, 
potting plants or uh, pots and then those raised beds mm -hmm. are so much more available quite frankly we we've made our raised beds they're super easy to build like they're and we don't have i have no skill set um but for people who can't necessarily get on the ground and they can't kneel or because of their knees or their back or whatever like you can raise those things up it's actually super easy to do um so i would start you know with things like that peppers grow um relatively easy lettuce i am telling you lettuce is one of the easiest things to grow the difference in the taste between what you grow and what you get at the grocery store is a night and day but the amount of money you would save you can get a packet of seeds for less than $2 and you will literally be eating like a king. Mm -hmm. um, last summer, we give so much food away. Like we invite our neighbors in, like it, we could not give it away fast enough. It's so easy to grow. Right. So those would be some of my things and don't do, like if you're looking at a garden, I think the biggest mistake people make is they grow like one row of corn and then they right. grow one row of beans and like like you're not going to grow corn in your backyard like right. get rid of it like you know exactly. <laughs> or pumpkins like you're right. not going to grow you those eat foods. them right grow cucumbers grow zucchini grow right. squash zucchini is like yeah that's like I mean and Tucker. we alternate years with zucchini because the years you grow it you're like you can't look at another zucchini. i know and you get like mutant sizes sometimes and it's like what am i gonna do with <laughs> our yeah. friends our friends experiment with that and i'm like i i can't i don't need any more but thanks i know you pancakes muffins breads like by the time you're done with it like zucchini lasagna i'm like by the time that's the interesting thing about eating seasonally by the way which i'm a really big advocate on because I'm yeah. a really big advocate on cutting out the middlemen when possible. And hopefully we'll have time to get to that because that's the biggest issue we have. Um, and I think that's the biggest reason we should start growing more food is cutting out those middlemen of where things come from. And I forgot what I was talking about. Zucchinis. Oh, but um, yeah. So but the time you're done, like with the season, you cannot possibly eat any more of it and it doesn't freeze very well. So we no. now only grow it every other season. That's smart. That's yeah. very smart. That's very smart. <laughs> or by you, the time you're done eating it, you're like ready to go on to the next thing. Or you partner with your neighbor and they grow certain things, you grow certain things and then you swap so that- That's actually a very new like type of community garden. We yeah. tried to do that in our neighborhood. People are like, yeah, I'm not really that interested. We'll just come pick yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, so I want to touch on composting and then we'll go to big systemic things. Yeah. Um, so composting, I certainly struggle with it. Well, one, I don't think different of me. I don't compost. I don't compost. Okay. I don't have the ability to compost. I'm okay. in a compost building. Sure. Um, we can't compost in this building. We can't have stuff here because there's rat traps. There's garbage bins. You just can't have that here. It's not conducive to us. Yeah. But I have been trying to, and I'm hyper conscious of what's going in the garbage anyways. Yeah. Uh, believe me, I have a, <laughs> so I put uh, during for Christmas, I get a little tree from one of the local people yeah. and uh, like an evergreen and it stays up for like four months. Yeah. Basically dead. And I have reeds that one of my farmers brings in that they make. And so they're sitting there and I'm like, I got to figure out where to put these evergreens, these branches, all this stuff. I'm like, I can't put this in the garbage. Right. 
And so I literally have to figure out, I'm still, I have to call the city to go, I need somewhere to put these because I cannot put these in a garbage bin. So right. it might be going back up next Christmas, but I hope not. <laughs> Awesome. And I missed like I one, of the, one of the tree trimmers was coming through the alley and I was like, God, I was like a block away watching. I'm like, oh my God, I could have given you that. But anyway, in there. right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, I want to be able to, um, and I was just reading about this in our community that there's now a place that I might be able to put my stuff for composting and bring it to them, right. I think, or they pick it up. I'm not sure which. Probably. Can you speak to that for people? What do they do? Yeah. I, mean, I know what so, composting is. It's liquid gold for your it, garden. It creates yeah. beautiful soil. It's also liquid gold for um, the people that are monetizing off of it. So I'm sure. Listen, first of all, co composting is extremely, they people overcomplicate it. It is not yeah. complicated. Right. So right. It's really easy. It's so easy. Um, so if you have any space whatsoever, we've got a a wooden little thing that sits in our house. And quite frankly, the only reason we have that is we've got, we've got a composting bin like right under our porch. And then we have a big hole in our backyard that scraps go into. And then we've got this small little wooden thing in our house because in the winter, I, I don't want to schlep out, you know, it, 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 when it gets full. I mean, like, so no. I just do it and then I dump it, you know, every other day type of thing. So here's the thing that I'm, and I'm not talking about you, that, that people that live in apartment buildings. So like back it up. I'm not talking about people that live in apartment buildings, but if you have any access to outdoor space at all, composting is not complicated. It does not smell and it does not attract rodents. So right. those are like misconceptions, particularly as an individual household, you're not producing that much garbage, like from, right. like from foods, you're just not. Right. The easiest thing to do is to start with fruit and vegetable scraps and eggshells. Mm -hmm. um, I think people shouldn't probably deal with meat scraps and right. those type of things. I also compost. I get my cleaners um, from an online store and the concentrate bottle is corn based. So I can compost those. They break down. So I throw things like that also in there that can that will break down. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that honestly, people overcomplicated. Here's right. the thing that's really upsetting to me about what they're doing with composting now is and let me just it, it's billions and billions and billions of dollars, by the way. So garbage, if you guys don't know it, garbage is like if you want to pick a business to be in, be in the business. Oh yeah. Oh it's horrible. The municipals? Oh yeah. It's like it, a mob it's like a mob business. It's unbelievable. So here's what happens. They're going to charge you to either pick up or deliver your scraps to them. So they're going to charge you for that. Then they're going to turn around and they're going to sell their compost. So they are making money both. So I sit there and I think I'm not begrudging you making the money for turning these scraps into compost, but why wouldn't you pay, be paying me to drop off my stuff? Right. It's such a messed up system that it's upsetting to me. Like, and we've been in places, I'm not gonna like, yep. where the city's come and shut us down because we don't have a license to be composting in a public space. And you're like, it's literally the stalks and the stems from the garden that were it like, so there's some of the things, it's so political and it's so mm -hmm. politicized. Um, and the companies that are out there, um, by the way, th that are that are doing this and taking care of it, I'm not saying they're not doing an awesome job. 
right. doing an awesome job. They do. But I just am not crazy about the fact that they're monetizing off of both ends. Like it just doesn't yeah. make sense to me. If we, if the, really the goal is to get these food scraps out of landfill, why wouldn't you pay me to drop my scraps off? You're right. still turning around and right. selling it. Yeah, exactly. So, is it, would it be better to partner with a community garden, you know, one of your small community gardens, if if they allow them to compost? Mm, okay, so, so that's sure. the thing that you, I, you have to look into. It's getting tricky here. Well, it's so tricky. like, what about? So, uh, well, I just answered it as soon as I was about to ask it. I was thinking of a restaurant who had told me years ago that they had a pickup service for compost. Like there was a specific yeah, group that came and picked that. up the stuff. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea who it is, but I always wanted to go back to him and get the name because <clears throat> I, I wanted to find out further. But this one that's in the community, I think it might not be getting paid both ways. I think it might be. Oh, really? You think they're taking your scraps for free? Yes. I'll let you know. I'd be I have super to read interested. it again. Yeah. yeah well, you I probably think. already know who they are, but I'll find it. Okay. It's in one of the articles. Okay. So to the big picture, and then we're going to start wrapping up. So yeah. it's Earth Month. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's Earth Month. And as I said in my notes, like, where do we even begin? Um, and again, yet I saw another article yesterday. I haven't read it. You know, another it's those doom and gloom articles. So you and I already talked about in one of our previous podcasts about small differences, making big, small changes, making big differences. I want to kind of talk to some of the systemic, the bigger things that really need to happen because there, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So I like that you, I said, it was interesting before we started recording, I specifically said to you, I love the fact I like talking about the micro things, right? The little yeah, things, but right. like we have to address the bigger picture, the macro problems, right? Like, but it's interesting because the minute you start talking about this, what this talk talking about this um, is kind of, I sometimes think people tune you out. Um, oh, I'm sure they do. I know so they do all the time. <laughs> the, the, the single most important thing that we can do is to consume less. Less. Like yeah. period, how much we consume and how often we consume it have the biggest implications on the planet's overall health. Period. I know. Yep. So that's the part that's super hard, right? Like it's, and remember I said, it's how much and how often it's the, I'm going to order a roll of tape from Amazon or, you know, I'm going to drive, um, to the grocery store to pick up a carrot or you know i'm going to it's it's not just the quantity that we're consuming it's about this constant i need it now this availability and i sometimes think again we overcomplicate. be a more thoughtful consumer and mm -hmm. um so that's the biggest thing the second biggest thing is to buy local when possible mm -hmm. and um or at the very least, buy from a manufacturing company that manufactures in your country of origin. Like, that's one of the reasons why something like, oh, I'm eating an organic apple. Well, it was from New Zealand. Like, right. do you really right. think that, that organic apple matters now? Like, even if you think it's better for your health, even if you think that. The implications to the environment have far outweighed any, like, you've literally polluted our planet. I know. So 
the idea that you know so when, when i and i talked a little bit about that that kind of that snobbery of mm -hmm. um you're so much better shopping directly with the manufacturing company and understanding manufacturing packaging and distribution and if people would just embrace those things mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about ingredients as much you just don't i'm sorry you don't and tip you know you have you have to that's the next thing but again that bigger implication it, it's huge i mean and i can't i just can't understate that it's yeah. You know, well, I the think with the, in the ozone during the pandemic, when Amazon got off the, the roads, or you know, we clearly we weren't commuting to work either. But like when you think about that, what's going oh, yeah. on the planet just from the distribution piece? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the two points that you make are for me huge as well. You know, in terms of consuming less across everything yeah. that you have from your clothes yep. to food to shit you need everything yep uh and that is in this country it is and even and sadly in uh many of the countries that we pushed all our manufacturing and industry onto who was doing all of our work for us right. now they are profiting and yeah so that's changed too and you're right. I'm sure people, I know people tune, tune me out after I can watch it when I'm talking to people who are sitting in front of me, I can watch their eyes glaze over. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, but we got enough shit on this planet to kill everyone, literally. Um, but eating locally and eating seasonal for me is a passion of mine and has been for many, many years. And people really can't stand when I talk about it because like the apples that are sitting in my fridge. Again, we're in a condo, so I don't have the ability to have second fridge freezer like what I grew up yes. with, you know? Uh, so the apples that are in my crisper drawer are from December, like the last round that the farmers at the market yeah. had. Yeah. And they're like pruny looking, but I mean, they're not that horrible, but whatever, they're not crisp. But I'm like, right. I don't care, I gotta eat it. What? Right. <laughs> I have to eat them up. And you know, like you said, buying in the country of origin. I also think that people could lower the amount of industrial food that they eat. Yeah, I think that would make a big difference also because it would shift the landscape, <clears throat> I think, in a lot of ways to go back to more traditional agriculture, I think. I mean, it's a huge step, but I agree with you. It, it has to happen. We don't or have even any like the newest and the latest. Like I want to give you a really good example. I um, in part of I when I went back, I went back to school to the Digital Wellness Institute. It's been almost two years now. And honestly, the reason I went back originally was to understand the environmental implications of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it, it expanded into the mental health and physical health and social health of you know social media, which was a bigger thing. But Here's what I wanted is that people don't realize when you talk about other countries manufacturing our stuff, when you look just at technology and what's involved in a cell phone. So my cell phone is going on eight years old, seven and a half years old, and it was dying like every 20 minutes. And so I went to Verizon and I said, you know, my, my phone keeps dying. And they're like, well, your phone's almost eight years old. You, you need a new phone. I said, I'm not getting a new phone. Like you have to 
what's the other option? And they're like, well, there are no other options. I said, there has to be another option. They're mm -hmm. like, well, you can get a refurbished phone. I'm like, I don't want a refurbished phone. I want my phone and I want you to fix the battery life. Like there's nothing wrong with this phone. And so this other guy ended up coming over and saying, actually, if you go to this place across the street, it will replace the battery for you. And that's, so all I had to do was get in my car because I live far away from that, drive to the next place. They replaced my battery. My phone was fine. I don't care that my phone is eight years old and neither right. should you and neither should right. Sally or John, but somehow we're under this impression if my computer is 10 years old, I don't care that my computer is 10 years old. So I think this idea that we constantly need the newest and the latest, when you look at textiles and electronics, those also play a huge role in our landfills and they don't break down. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 And I, okay. <laughs> so if people could see our faces, so by, which by the way, this is the first podcast where I chose to finally like do a video along with the audio. Not that you're going to see this, but um Normally we're just having this banter without the screen. And so today I finally chose to do the screen. So if you see, if you all saw my face, you'd be like, yeah, okay. I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, I don't have, I don't know what else to say because I know exactly where you go, what it's all about. And it's just frustrating in this space. We're in an instant gratification world and it's really hard to change that. So, so on that note, uh, I think it's, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Totally. I yeah. think we, um, I think we serve my purpose of wanting to just really speak to, as we start this season, at least here in the Midwest, we experience spring. It may not be that way everywhere else to really, you know, mother nature's coming alive and coming out of hibernation, which if we actually really followed slowing down in winter, we'd be doing the same, but we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't. Um, and I wanted to really just kind of address it's not just gardening in general, but it is looking at this space, this therapeutic, this space that fills us in many different ways, but also looking at all of the, what can be barriers, what can we work on to make it more accessible, but what can we do to also do more of it in order for us to help move our planet forward in a positive direction? Yeah. Because um, there's no planet B, period. Not. <laughs> period, end of story. Don't care what Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos think. There is no planet B. <laughs> Break it to you. But Mars is not where we're going to be living. Really? Sorry about that. <laughs> so um, I want to thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you for making time uh, and fitting me in your schedule. I really appreciate it. Your wisdom, your knowledge, your experiences always really... A pleasure to hear and learn more and uh, feel like I also have a comrade in this. <laughs> you yeah, know? I, I feel the same, exact same about you. So, and, and you know, and congratulations, by the way, on your new job. That's so exciting. Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's uh, nine months in. It's been a, it's been a, a good journey. So we'll Love stay you. there for a while. We'll stay there for a while, but I still keep working on all this because it's where my where my other part of my heart lives yeah. as well. So Absolutely. Uh, until we have another conversation, everyone will um, wish you well, wish you a great Earth Month. Do something, please do many things. Do something every day to help Mother Earth uh, 
help this planet that you want to stay living on. So that's what I can say (laughs) the best way possible. Thanks. Take care. and others through the pandemic.